What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance YouTube channel. In today's video, we're going to do our weekly M1 Finance Portfolio Update. And then I'm going to spend some time talking about buy and hold, but not buy and holding index funds. I'm going to talk about buy and holding individual stocks, specifically blue chip stocks of their decade. And then we're going to backtest their performance to see how well those stocks would have performed if you would have just buy and held them over a period of 30 years. Stay tuned. Now, before we get started in today's video, I ask two things, guys. Please hit the like button to help spread my videos to other people. And then subscribe if you're not already subscribed, guys. We're getting very close to 5,000 subscribers. I cannot believe it. And only you guys can help me get there. So if you're not subscribed, doesn't cost a thing. Hit that red button, subscribe, and I'd really appreciate it. All right, so for the portfolio update, I'm going to give you an update for the week, and then I'm going to give you an update for the uh, all-time, and then we'll just jump into really the majority of the time that I want to spend talking about individual stocks. So the portfolio value is sitting at $234.96. Uh, for the week, we're in the red. Fortunately, uh, the market took a little bit of a tumble, so we're in the red. We're down 1.14%. Total loss of $2.63. I think I'll be okay with that. All three of our index funds, unfortunately, are down. Uh, VTI is down 1.02%. VXUS is down 0.6%. VTWV, shout out to you, Stanley, for correcting me, guys. I can't believe I've been saying VTVW this entire time. Uh, one of our private members, Stanley, big shout out to you, my man. He's doing big things. Um, he corrected me. He said, you know, you're saying VTVW in your videos. I'm like, really? It's, it must be the Eastern European in me. So VTWV, if I can get that out, uh, Vanguard small cap value, it's done negative 2.05%. All time, we're still looking good. Again, we got that nice steady step ladder. Every week, 25 bucks, and every week we keep stepping up in the portfolio value. All time, we're up $5.23 for a total return of 3.33%. No earned dividends yet, but we do expect some coming here at the end of March. I believe all three of these will pay out dividends at the end of March. All time, VTI is down 0.1%, VXUS is down 0.21%, and VTWV up 8.89%. The clear-cut winner small cap value has been uh, basically this entire year, but it's kind of been the winner since last September. So really proud of that. Um, really happy that I have that in all of my portfolios. Now, let's spend some time talking about the history of the S&P 500. So what I have here, I'm going to look at three different time periods, 1985, 1995, 2005. I don't have the period for 2015, uh, but I think these are three good time periods to look at. And what this shows us is the top 10 of the S&P 500. So you can see in 1985, IBM was the number one international business machine. They're the number one company in the S&P 500 followed by Exxon, GE, AT&T, GM, Shell, DuPont, Amco, Bell South, and Sears. Wow, Sears. Uh, rest in peace, Sears. So this is the top 10 for 1985. Here's what I want you to picture. All right, and this is uh, where this will be a good learning opportunity for a lot of people that are picking stocks. Take yourself back to 1985. I don't care if you weren't born. Let's just pretend we're going back to back to the future 
but in the past, I don't even know what. Let's go back to the past. 1985. You're sitting here. You're a you're a very well versed investor, and you see companies like IBM, companies like GE, companies like Sears. And what do you think to yourself? You think these are blue chip companies. These companies are going to be here forever. This is something that I can just buy and hold. So you put some money into some of these companies. The example I'm going to use in our portfolio analyzer here is I'm going to go over these three time periods. I'm going to pick the best company in those time periods. And we're only going to invest in those. Okay, so we're going to invest in IBM in 1985. We're also going to invest in GE. Uh, this is 1995. GE was the best company in the S&P 500. Look at some of these companies here in the S&P 500. We got Shell, Philip Morris, AT&T, Merck. Look at all these companies here that are not in the top 10 anymore in the S&P 500. Of course, we recognize some names here that were recently dropped out of the top 10 like Procter and Gamble and Johnson and Johnson, but they're hanging out. Uh, most most uh, funds now do have Johnson and Johnson still in the top ten, but these are you know top fifteen S and P five hundred. But Philip Morris no longer is, Shell no longer is, Exxon no longer is, Merck isn't any longer, G definitely isn't any longer, AT and is not in the top ten anymore. So nineteen ninety five, so you know twenty five years ago, twenty six years ago, this was the top ten. You can barely recognize it. The only one I think that's still in there is Microsoft. Uh, from what I can remember. So again, 1985, IBM was the best company, so we're going to pick them. Uh, 1995, GE was the best company, so we're going to pick them. Now, I'm not going to use 2005 as an example because GE is still number one, so I'm going to use 2006. Um, Again, GE uh, was number one, but Exxon was kind of closing in on them anyway. So 2006, which would be about 15 years ago now, ExxonMobil was the best company, followed by GE. Both these companies are no longer uh, viable companies in the top 10 of the S&P 500. Followed by them, Microsoft was number three. This is still a heavy hitter in the S&P 500. Then we got some value plays here in financial. Citigroup and Bank of America definitely fell off the top 10. Again, Procter & Gamble. Walmart is another one that fell out, uh, replaced really by Amazon. Johnson & Johnson still kind of holding strong. Pfizer has fallen back. AIG, do you guys remember AIG? (laughs) In 2006, AIG was 10th in the S&P 500. So anyways, that is the, uh, I can go through all these lists and we can look at all these different companies and uh, really spend a bunch of time just kind of clicking through and looking at them. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about why picking individual stock is so tricky. So 1985, I'm a great investor. I'm going to pick the winners. I'm going to pick IBM. 1995, I'm picking winners. I'm picking GE. 2000 and what did I say? Six, because 2005 G was still the winner. I'm picking Exxon. So I want to have three different, uh, really three different companies. So what I've uh, gone ahead and done is back tested basically since 1985. I've back tested these three companies. So I've back tested IBM, GE, and Exxon Mobil. We put in an initial $10,000 and we just rebalanced annually, but there was no rebalancing because the 100% of the portfolio is in these companies. The purpose of this is, again, for educational purposes. I want to show you what these companies returned if you held them in a buy and hold strategy. And I always tell you it's difficult to pick stocks. And what did I tell you guys? And if you watch my buy the dip video, I really recommend watching that. And why I'm not a fan of buying the dip in individual stocks or actively managed funds is because most of those will experience some kind of catastrophic failure where they're going to lose 70% of their value and they will never recover from it. 
These three companies that I'm going to share with you today were the kings of the S&P 500 in their respective decades. I'm going to show you if you just would have bought them, what they would yield you. So here it is. We're going to look at IBM first because it's the worst performer. If you would have bought IBM in 1985 and you put in your $10,000, you'd have a ending balance today of $71,375. If we inflation adjust that, that's about $29,000. Uh, not really a lot of money. Your annual compound growth rate would have been 5.75%. And your biggest drawdown would have been 67.47%. I would consider this a catastrophic decline. Uh, something that IBM has not been able to rec recover from. If you look at the blue line, this is IBM. That drop occurred right here in 1993, in August of 1993. Now, IBM did keep climbing from that, but if you look at how it's been climbing, it's really been at a very flat pace. It's not a company that's grown since 2000. Uh, basically, the value has been the same for IBM, so it's not a company that's grown that much. Now, let's take a look at GE. I think a lot of you guys are familiar with GE as well. So GE is this red line right here. GE was a great growing company. I mean, look at this. This is exponential growth. If you put in $10,000 into GE, you would have a final balance of $111,000 with the compound annual growth rate of 7.09%. Unfortunately, your max drawdown, you would have hit that catastrophic event. It would be negative 81%. And then we see here, what happened with GE? GE had a couple of drawdowns. They had the drawdown in the great financial crash. It had a drawdown in the tech bubble. Uh, this is really what killed the performance of GE right here. So in 2018, uh, since 2018, basically GE went from a, a blue chip company to basically now I think it's trading at like 10 or 12 bucks a share. So blue chip company led the S&P 500, I think I want to say since 1995. Let me go back further here. So a blue chip company, look at this, 1989, GE's right in there. 1994, GE's leading the S&P 500. 95, GE's leading the S&P 500. 2001, GE is the best company in the S&P 500. 2005, GE is the best company in the S&P 500. Yet, I'm showing you a company that had a max drawdown of negative 81%. This is what you call a catastrophic failure. How in the world could you have predicted that a company like GE, that this would happen to them? There's no way you can predict it ahead of time. And that's why there's no way you can buy and hold individual stocks. Now let's move on to ExxonMobil, another one that I've showed you guys. They're at the top. 2013, ExxonMobil is the second biggest company in the S&P 500. This was eight years ago. This was the second biggest company in the S&P 500 catastrophic decline, negative 58%. ExxonMobil has fallen off the map. Again, oil was doing good through the 90s, and then it even did good up until the financial crash. Since then, it's really been flat and on a decline. Um, 270000 is what it would have returned your $10,000 for a compound annual growth rate of 9.82%. At least this one came the closest to keeping up with the S&P 500. So this period that I looked at, the S&P 500 returned 10.08%. So none of these kept up with the S&P 500. If you were to just pick the S&P 500, you would, have, you would have done better than the three best performing stocks in the S&P 500 
in their respective decades. Think about that for a minute. If you just would have bought and hold in 1985 the S&P 500, you're returning 10.05%. But if you bought the best performing stocks in the S&P 500 1985, 1995, 2005, you would underperform the S&P 500. How could that be? Well, the reason is we don't know what the future holds. And I've praised the S&P 500 so many times, but it's a self-cleansing index. The S&P 500 doesn't predict the future. The S&P 500 is the future. If a company does well, it will be in the S&P 500. If a company's not doing well, it's not going to be in the S&P 500. And this is, again, why I harp on ARK Invest all the time and why I think Kathy Wood is going to be a failure going forward is she cannot predict the future better than an index fund. She claims she can, and of course she has to say that because she charges 75 basis points for you to have the privilege of investing into her ARK funds. So of course she has to say that. If she just told you she's going to do what the index does, why would you pay her 75 basis points when you can get an S&P 500 fund for two or three basis points, right? You wouldn't. So she has to go out there and claim that she's, and she might truly believe this, that she can do it. Problem with ARK Invest is going to be she only has 40 or 50 holdings. What if those experience this catastrophic decline here? She will then go to underperform the S&P 500 while still charging 75 basis points a year. So that's my case for picking individual stocks or picking actively managed funds and thinking that you can beat the market. I can show you more examples of where you won't beat the market versus the examples that you will beat the market. It's incredibly hard to do this. That's why there's so few people that have done it successfully and consistently. And those people that have done it, the Warren Buffetts, the Peter Lynch's, we idolize them for a specific reason because they have done it. Many, many have tried and have failed. And in my case, I'm one who's not even going to try because I know the odds are not in my favor. So Hopefully you guys learned something from this. I wanted to kind of have this as an educational piece, as a warning piece, and really lift the curtain on a lot of strategies that you might see or think are safe or good strategies when in the long run. Unfortunately, they're, they're inherently riskier than just picking an index fund. And I know it seems so counterintuitive, like why would I just want to pick the boring index fund? Because that's what investing should be. Investing should be boring. If you're excited when you're making your investments, something is wrong. You need to go back and reprogram whatever strategy you picked because you should not be excited, at least not that excited with your investment. Your investment should really just be out there working for you in the background, you not even paying any attention, maybe semi-annually or annually to it. And that's really all you got to do. Pick a low-cost, broad-based index fund, put your money in, on average, if it averages you 10%, that's not just average. That's the best anybody's going to do. Now, before we end today's episode, I do want to give a quick shout out here. This is a fellow subscriber, Jimmy. Thank you so much for sending me this. He said, uh, he basically sent me an email. He said, hey, here are my portfolios. Here's what I invested in. And I think uh, if you want to share it with your viewers, I think it might benefit them. And I totally agreed. So uh, this is an actual subscriber's portfolio. Uh, of course, we blocked out the account numbers and all that stuff. And we'll call him Jimmy. Uh, and Jimmy has basically two accounts. He has a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. He put in $6,000. And this is what his investments have grown into. I'll look at what he's invested in. He's got FIMVX. This is the mid-cap value. FISVX, Fidelity small-cap value. FLCOX, the large cap value. 
then of course he's got some blends here fskx that's the total market fsmdx that's the mid cap blend fssnx that's the small cap blend he's even got a little s p 500 fxaix and then last but not least the zero international fund fzilx so it's got a total of eight funds and look at this 23.17 percent very well done young man i really uh think you did a really good job here now you do have a little bit of an overlap like i tell people fxkax and fxaix are essentially the same thing but hey if you want to have both of them knock yourself out who am i who am i to tell you different look at this performance you've done 20 percent in the 500 fund and you've done 22 percent the total market job well done and look at some of these other performers he's got he's got the small cap blend 50 percent mid cap blend 31 percent large cap value 28 percent these are some amazing percentages job well done to you big kudos to you sir and then if you look at the breakdown here the majority of his portfolio is going to be in the total market or the s p 500 this is exactly what I preach. These should be your core holdings. And then if you want to allocate you know, percentages to international or small cap or mid cap, that's what you do. But you don't deviate too much from the market. And that's uh, really uh, looks like you've been watching my video. So <laughs> really job well done, sir. And then I'm going to share his other portfolio. This is his traditional IRA. Again, similar funds. I think they're all the same funds, except I don't see FXAIX in this one. Yeah, no, he does not have FXAIX in this one so everything else is the same again this one did a little bit worse 14 percent um, but again job well done in picking low cost index funds look at this 29 percent 32 percent 27 percent just rocking it out of the park i love it i love it i love it job well done again the majority of this money it looks like is in small cap value uh you guys already know how i feel about that uh jimmy here has returned 32 percent in small cap value since he uh opened up this traditional ira so job well done and uh, jimmy thank you so much for sharing this with me so guys if you want me to highlight your portfolios when i do my portfolio review uh, feel free to send uh, send me an email with your portfolio. I have no problem giving you guys a shout out. If you're doing the good stuff that uh, our friend Jimmy here is doing, investing in low cost index funds, uh, it's something that I'd love to share with the community. And thank you so much again, Jimmy, for sharing that with me and for allowing me to share that with the monkey finance community. All right, well, it has come to that time of the video. The video will be wrapping up here. A big shout out to my private members. Uh, guys, I just started a Discord too. So if you do become a private member, you do get a link to the Discord. Come chat it up with us. A bunch of like-minded individuals talking about index funds, talking about the stock market. Uh, we're starting to build a nice little community over there. Just bear with me. I'm still new to this to the Discord, so I'm trying to get that thing up and running. Been some... Uh, been some little bit of uh, minor issues, but we're getting those uh, bugs worked out. If you, also, if you guys want to become private members, check out the link uh, in the top of the description there. I'll leave that link to the private membership. There's three different tiers that you can pick from, whichever price category works best for you. And uh, as always, guys, thanks so much for listening on the podcast side. I appreciate you podcast listeners as well. You guys are getting my podcast numbers up again try to leave me a review on if you're listening uh, i already spoke to one of my listeners eric fortunately we can't do the reviews on the google side but if you're listening on the apple side on apple podcast drop me a review uh, i'll go ahead and re read it live on the air but really the biggest thing is that review helps uh really helps uh, the 
Apple Podcast algorithm so that it pushes out my podcast to more listeners because it looks like it seems like right now a lot of the listeners from the podcast are actually coming over from the YouTube side, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. You guys support me on both ends and I really appreciate that. But I also do want to grow the podcast like I've been growing the YouTube channel because I think, uh, you know, we do we do benefit a lot of listeners on there as well. So please leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcast if you can. That helps me out a lot. Thanks for your time. As always, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.